want you to think this morning about holding a family photo. And actually, if you've got your smartphone this morning and you've got a family photo on there that you can think of, pull out your phone right now and just go ahead, pull up that picture and take a look at that. No phone. No. Everybody's really good about not bringing their phone into church, I guess, huh? If, if you've got your phone, pull out your phone, pull up that family photo. If you don't have your phone, think about, you know, a picture that you've got uh, hung up on the wall at home in a photo album, something like that. And just think about that picture. There are certain thoughts that come along with pictures like that. Certain things that we think about, events that we remember, feelings that are just stirred up by that. And I bet, again, if you can think of a particular family photo that you find very precious or dear, there's a face that you might zoom in on when you look at that picture. Maybe it's a, a, a kid who's pretty grown up now, but in that picture was still so little and was just laughing and you just loved looking at that, that kid. Maybe it's a picture that's got a loved one who's passed on. And you look at that picture and you remember all those times with that loved one where you enjoyed their company. They had some words to share with you that you still treasure. Who do you zoom in on in that particular family photo? Think about those things this morning and hear this promise from God. In the midst of all things, God is working for the good of his children. That's Romans chapter 8. Amen. In verse 46 of our reading from Luke 1 today, Mary says, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Now Mary uses uh, an interesting word there. The, root which, the, the word which our Bible translation renders glorify literally means to make something large. It's the same word at its root as our English word, magnify. Right? And so when we sing this song of Mary that's called the Magnificat in worship, we sometimes use that word magnify, and we call it the Magnificat. Mary says her soul, that is to say her, her whole person, her entire life, she herself, she glorifies, magnifies God. Like when you put something under a magnifying glass and it becomes big, that's what Mary says she, her soul, her life, intends to do. Show God to be large. Mary also gives the reason why she does this, why she wants to magnify God with her life. Verse 48, she says, God has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. And again, I want to take you into those exact words there and pull out something that she's saying there. Where our Bible translation says God has been mindful, Mary's exact words literally mean, God has looked on me. God, who is above, has looked on her. He has taken notice of her. He's regarding her. When God regards a human in Scripture, when God fixes his attention on someone, it's never an empty action. When God looks at someone, looks upon you, fixes his eyes on you, regards you, he acts. God's regard is powerful. 
Because God is powerful. We can't say the same thing about ourselves, though, can we? We can't say that our mere vision, our regarding of something can affect it, can change it in any kind of way. We often look helplessly on all kinds of things in our own lives. We look helplessly toward the future because it's uncertain and unsure. We can't control it. We look helplessly toward the past because it's done and settled and we can't change it. We look helplessly toward the present because we have doubts and fears and worries. All of this helplessness, this looking on that we do, paralyzes us. We zoom in on, we magnify in our lives fears and worries and guilts, and just look on these things totally powerlessly. And maybe again, if you think about that picture, that family picture, you have some of those thoughts as you think about that. You look at the face of that smiling kid who's not such a little kid anymore, maybe, maybe even an adult, and you worry about the future for that child. Maybe you zoom in on that picture and you're consumed with guilt from the past. You see that loved one who's no longer with us, whose picture is there, but who you can't talk to anymore and you regret. Words left unsaid, even worse, words that should not have been said. We naturally react to our powerlessness, this human powerlessness, in two ways. We can despair or we can deny it. When we notice our powerlessness, when we regard the situation of our lives and see how powerless we are in so many ways, we can despair. We throw in the towel, we give up, we withdraw, or we deny. We deny our powerlessness. We act and talk and think as if we were the ones who were in control of our circumstances and our lives. We look at our past and see ourselves as the protagonists, the ones who grabbed hold of life by its horns and wrestled from it the best outcomes ignoring all the coincidences, happenstances that left us in better situations than others. Obviously, that kind of denial about our powerlessness is a sort of pride, right? I, I helped myself. I got myself here. I worked hard. I, I, I. You know, this despair is also a kind of pride. When we look on our own powerlessness and despair... It's just this sort of negative pride. I'm the only one who can help my situation. I'm the only one who could do anything, but because I don't have power, no one can do anything. Right? There's pride there. Both of these reactions to our powerlessness, despair or denial, come out of pride. This desire for us to be the actors in our lives, to be the protagonist, to be the one carrying the action forward and taking care of everything. Mary says in her song here, God has been mindful of, he's looked down on, he's focused on his servant's humble state. What God sees when he looks at Mary is what he sees when he looks at any human. He sees someone in a lowly, powerless state, someone who cannot change the past, someone who cannot control the future, someone who cannot alter the present. God's law makes us aware of all this, of our powerlessness. God's law makes us aware of the fact that we can't change the things we've done in the past, that we can't alter our present circumstances, that we can't avoid the certain death 
that awaits us all in the future. God's law makes us aware of this. We heard God's law preached last week. We talked about it in the message and heard John crying it out to the crowds coming out for his baptism as he called them a brood of vipers. That's what God's law tells us that we are. Brood of vipers. Sinners who are sinful and sinning, doomed. God's law leaves us rightly to either despair or deny. We can tell God, no, that's not true. That's not a descriptor of me. I'm not a sinner. I'm not sinful. Deny. We can despair. How could I ever stand right before God? How could I ever complete the law? I, I, I. Again, it's that negative pride. But that wasn't all we heard last week from John the Baptist. He was a gospel preacher too. John was washing people with water there in the Jordan as this visible, tangible reminder of God's grace, of forgiveness for sin. Mary knew the gospel, and that's how she's able to sing this song. She knew the God who had, verse 51, she says, performed mighty deeds with his arm, who had scattered those who are proud. She knew her Old Testament history. She knew the God who had saved his powerless people over and over and over again. And Mary found comfort in that because Mary was in a pretty uniquely powerless position, wasn't she? Think about who Mary is. She's, first off, a woman, a female, in a society that did not consider women to be the full legal equals of men. She would never inherit property. She would never hold public office. She was a woman. Mary was a teenager. Not only was Mary a teenager, Mary was a pregnant teenager. And to top it all off, Mary's immediate situation, the fact that she was a pregnant teenager, had not even resulted from being allowed to make the kind of bad decisions that generally lead to such a situation. All of Mary's choices have been taken from her. She was entirely powerless in this situation. But Mary doesn't despair. In the face of that powerlessness, Mary doesn't deny her own powerlessness. She praises God. Mary knows God to be the God who protects the powerless. Mary knows God to be the God who saves, who forgives, who covers over sin and opens up waters. She knows that God has looked on her, has regarded her, has seen her, has focused himself on her. And so she sees God. She magnifies him. She zooms in on him. She sees him at work in her world, in her life. God looks on her. She looks on God. Imagine Mary as she sings this song about God looking down on her, looking down on her stomach. Seeing that God has looked on her, regarded her, seeing that God has acted. That's where Mary is as she sings this song. She zooms in on God. The law's preparatory preaching about our own powerlessness is what prepares us to hear the gospel. It is in this knowledge of our powerlessness that Mary had, which God gives to all of us through his law, that we're prepared to see the gospel shine forth. And by the gospel, God does something incredible in our hearts. He creates in us a third response to our powerlessness. 
God creates in our hearts something that is neither despair nor denial, though to the outside it could look like either one of those. What God creates is faith. What Mary sings here is a song of faith. My soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. This is faith, trusting in God, in God's thoughts, in God's actions, not in yourself. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. This is faith. She's looking ahead to the future, which is uncertain and out of her control, with joy, with surety about God's promises. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. This is faith. Zooming in on your situation, looking at where you are in life, and seeing not yourself, but God. Mary looks at her situation and doesn't focus on all the difficulties and the challenges that surely did await her. She doesn't focus on the frank unfairness of it all. Why does she have to be Jesus' mom? Why do the rumors have to be about her now? Why her? Mary's not asking those questions because those questions aren't faith questions. Those are pride questions. And I'm not saying that Mary never asked those questions. What Mary is enabled to do here by God, by faith, is ask these questions that are born from faith. Questions that don't deny her powerlessness. She's not asking these questions that assume that she at least has the wisdom of God, right? Okay, God, you're, you're more powerful than I am, but can't I at least tell you how you should use that power? Can't I tell you what would be best for you to do in this situation? What would be best to do for me? We like to do that sometimes. Act as if, as if, even if we don't have God's power, we have God's wisdom and we should be able to tell him what's going to be best. There's that pride again. That's not Mary. Mary focuses on God. She knows what's happening here. She knows that this is her God remembering his long ago promise to save. She knows that what is happening here is for her eternal good, that this is her Savior being born. This is her Savior. And yet this is also a baby. A baby who's going to need to be changed, to be fed. A baby who's going to mean rumors. A baby who may ruin her reputation, who may ruin Joseph's reputation as well. Why does God have to act in this way? Why won't God act in a way that's going to make Mary comfortable, that's going to be easy to bear away, that's smooth and simple? Again, Mary doesn't ask those questions. And I wouldn't say that it's impossible that she asked those questions some other day, maybe on Christmas, as that baby was actually being born, I'm sure she was asking, why? Why is this happening? Why did you have to pick me? But today, Mary's questions come from faith. Mary was a sinner, as we all are, a sinner whose heart was pulled toward despair and denial in the face of the law. Mary needed a savior. God sent her one, and this is what she sang. My spirit rejoices in God, my savior. That faith, that response is not something we work in ourselves. Faith is a God work. Faith is what God produces in your heart by the gospel in word and sacrament. Faith is what God produced in Mary by the gospel promises he spoke all through the Old Testament. Promises like the one found in our Old Testament reading. Israel will live securely, for Messiah's greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. 
and he will be our peace. These aren't promises that were made in a vacuum. These aren't empty promises made by someone who had nothing to show for it. No, these were promises Mary knew made by the God who had rescued his people from Egypt. The God who had opened up the waters to let the Israelites through and then brought them crashing back down on Pharaoh's army. These are promises made by the God who raised up judges to save his people from their enemies. Promises made by the God who brought the exiles home and laid his hand on their leaders. Promises made by the God who is so far from powerless. With God created faith, we see God at work. Mary didn't sing to Elizabeth about her trials and her difficulties. She didn't see those things as she zoomed in on her life. She saw God. She saw that God had given Elizabeth to her, this relative, this person who was close to her, who could share this miraculous tie with her, who could be with her, support her. That's something Mary saw as she zoomed in on her life. God working in that way. Mary zoomed in on her life and saw her Savior growing inside of her. No matter what the difficulties and the trials were going to be, how could that be anything but good for Mary? Here is her Savior. Mary zoomed in and saw in her life God keeping her promises. Again, I know Mary didn't always focus on those things. She was a sinner, like you, like me, who needed a Savior. She wasn't always focused on God, on his promises. But God was always focused on her. God is always focused on you. The gospel is a message that is for the whole world, but kind of loses some of its beauty when we don't remember that it's for you in particular. Baptism is the gospel through which God works to create faith because baptism is for you as an individual. You are washed clean of your sins. You are brought into God's family. The Lord's Supper is the gospel, the means by which God creates faith in your heart because it's for you. It's Jesus' body and blood which he took on there in Mary's womb given unto your lips for your forgiveness. The gospel is a message of good news about God's focus on you when he sent Jesus into this world. Zoom in on your life right now like you zoomed in on that family photo. All right? Think about what's going on in your life. Do you see frustrations, worries, fears, right? What do you zoom in on right now? What are you focused on? Are you focused on the past when you zoom in on your life and the trials and the challenges that you have faced in the past and the things that you cannot change? Are you focused on the future, the uncertainty, the doubts, the fears, the worries? Are you focused on the present, on frustrations and angers? Zoom in on a different part of your life right now. See what's going on right here. See God here at work gathering you into community so that you personally can hear this message that you are forgiven. Zoom into your past. See what God was doing there for you at that font when your sins were washed away and you were, his name was put on you. Zoom into your future if you want. See what you're about to receive. The body and blood of Jesus Christ given unto death for the forgiveness of all of your sins. 
focus on God this Christmas season. He's always focused on you. Amen.